Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today we are visiting with a headmaster from House of Algos, whose name derives from the Greek word for pain. Our next guest describes himself as a sexual sadist and holds a deep passion for BDSM education. Later on, we'll get into some hot topics, including pain and primal play. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Sir Ezra. Hi, Sir Ezra, would you mind uh, introducing yourself, please? Hey, Brandon, yeah. Um, so yes, my name is Sir Ezra. I'm the headmaster of the House of Algos. I am the director of education at Sanctuary LEX Studios, and I'm also the president of House of Algos Coaching. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, the way we got connected was actually, um, if any of you are active listeners of the podcast, you'll recognize the name House of Elgos because Queen Anna Elgos, Miss Sanctuary 2020 came on the podcast. And so uh, you and Anna have a, a relationship. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So she is um, my property. I'm her owner. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, does your name have an, any significance towards it? Sir Ezra, it just sounds sort of like a very powerful name, like Thor or something like that. Well, the name Ezra is Hebrew, and it is it literally means to help. And so I am service-oriented, so it's kind of uh, fortuitous. Nice. Very cool. Well, I do want to talk a little bit about leather and kink and all of that, but let's get to know you a little bit first. How many years have you said you've been in the community? So um, I got into the community around seven years ago. So uh, yeah, 2013. Okay, cool. And you identify as heterosexual, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, I identify as a heterosexual, polyamorous, dominant sexual sadist. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I have to say, I think you're probably the first heterosexual identifying person that we've had on the podcast. So welcome. So normally, I'd like to do sort of a coming out story. But I don't know if really, you do have a coming out story. Maybe you have a coming into kink story, though. Uh, Would you mind kind of touching a little bit on that? No, I mean, I, I do. I would call it a coming out story. Because although I really understood that I was kinky, I didn't know that it was something that was healthy or that could be fruitful in my life. Mm. And so there was a time when, uh, as a young man, I sort of put childish things aside. The unfortunate way that I saw it is that it really was a path to codependency. It was a path to unhealthy relationships. So Mm. I set it aside and I got into a marriage with somebody who did not appreciate that aspect of my personality. I mean, but can you blame her? Because neither did I. And it took six years for me really to realize in that marriage that that was a really important part of me and that having a diverse and multiplicitous sexual experience was really important to me. And that that was not something that the person I was married to was interested in. So I had to come out in that I had to really embrace that this was part of my personality and this was part of the life I wanted to live. I see. So in many ways that you do have a coming out story, then it's coming out as kinky. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because it had always been part of my life, you know, Um, not that I knew about the community, but I was always interested in experimenting. I was always interested in this wide range of experiences And, you know, I got into a vanilla marriage. I got into something who wanted boring sex and I thought I could live with that, but I just couldn't. So why was, what was the motivation behind like getting into a vanilla sexual marriage? (laughs) I mean. Yeah. Well, I didn't, um, you know, I thought it was what you did. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that's just how you progress in life is okay. You got a decent job. Now 
you know, get married, have a kid, buy a house, do the thing, right? And I didn't understand that there were DS relationships that were healthy and productive. You know, I thought that, you know, anybody who wanted this kind of thing from me, and I don't, it's a mystery to me how I ever found masochists, like without the community, but I did. And I got into these relationships with masochists and I thought, oh, well, they're fostering the parts of me that are not good. They're fostering, they're going to make me into a worse person. Uh, And that was, Mm. is really the most tragic misunderstanding of my life because I lost 10 years of my life to that misunderstanding. Wow. Well, we'll definitely get into a little bit more of that. Uh, You said, you know, you kind of always been interested in experimenting and stuff like that. When was the first experience that you had that you could, you know, think back to as kink related? Um, It goes back so far. It seems so inappropriate. Um, But, (laughs) you know, a trigger warning here, because I like I said, I was always exploring. I remember being you know, before grade school, I remember playing house, but the, the woman in our, our group of three friends was like, okay, I'm the mommy. And then you two are dogs. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) And we did whatever she said, you know, I mean, it's, it's classic DS and role play. And, you know, we did anything she said. I ate fucking styrofoam for this girl because I thought, you know, that's dog food. (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny are you do you identify as a pup as well or was that just kind of like a early experience yeah no that was that was an early experience um i do primal play but i identify more as like a leopard so um solitary hunter solitary Uh, um stalker and ambush ambush killer (laughs) well i'm excited to get more into that (laughs) so you're okay so your first experience was way back then when did you first connect the two together and realize that this is part of like your sexual expression well it's hard to say because my discovery was in some ways set in a juxtaposition against not being accepted as such Mm -hmm. you know um I think that when there was no resistance, I naturally, you know, moved into it. I think of my my high school sweetheart and I were in a master slave relationship. Wow. Even though I, I didn't have the the words for it, but she said, you know, do whatever you want to me. She said, We can get married, all you have to do is ask. Wow. Right? And I was I mean, in my mind I was like, I'm sixteen, like bitch, I'm not gonna ask. Like, you know, <laughs> That's scary um, as a sixteen year old. Yeah, it is. And, and I think I had a better sense of long term planning than she did. But yeah, I, I mean, it was always it was always there. And it was, it was challenging. I, mean, I think I think my college experience was not really helpful, because I went and did a college experience in a very remote area. You know, I struggled with attention deficit disorder. And in my mind, finding a very small school in a very remote area was going to be good for me. And I mean, indeed, I did finish on time, I finished in four years flat, but there was nobody who shared my sexual preferences. And it reinforced this idea that what I was looking for was not something healthy people did. I just have to ask, because I think I remember you saying you live like near the Inland Empire. Did you go to University of Redlands by any chance? No, I didn't. No, no, I went, I was raised on the East Coast. Ah, okay. Okay, cool. You can tell from my, my accent. (laughs) <laughs> I haven't paid attention too closely to your accent. <laughs> it's a joke. I yeah, it's buried. No, I was just curious because I know you. You said you mentioned before, like off record, that you live out there. And I went to University of Redlands, and I remember there was like two other gay guys in the town. And this was still when I had kind of lived in a bubble, anyways. And my first two years of college were there, and I was like oh, yeah, I guess there's not that many gay people. I guess it's not really like a thing. And it wasn't until I moved out to the LA area that I was like, oh, my God, there's like this whole community of people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I understand. So coming out, have, have you come out to like your family and friends about this? Or is this kind of like something you keep to yourself? No, I'm I'm out as out can be. And, you know, it's interesting because at first, my old high school friends, you know, they love to hear stories and at a certain point, it all just became too much. And now I, now I, if I tell any stories, it's like 5% of the experience because they <laughs> yeah. just, they just get, I don't know if it's like, you know, rage or FOMO or jealousy or whatever, but it doesn't, it's not a pleasant experience for them to hear of my sexual escapades anymore. 
So did, did you, have you ever lost any friends over this? Um, I've lost a lot of friends for a lot of reasons, and I'm not sure that I could pin it to kink specifically, but I eventually I just stopped making vanilla friends. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I just, they become so boring to me that if like, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of know what you mean where, when it comes to like, you know, you're talking about your sexual experiences to try to share something with them that you like particularly enjoyed. And then like, you'll get a reaction of like, Oh, Oh, uh, I don't want to hear about that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And where's the line. And I, you know, what's offensive to me is not offensive to them. And what's offensive to them is not offensive to me. And so we just don't share the same values. So at a certain point, I just I just stopped investing in. I think I have like one vanilla friend that I met in the last 10 years and like two people that I keep in touch with from grade school. And that's, you know, that's really it the, outside of the, the fetish community and kink community. And what about your family? Like your parents, do they think anything about this? Um, so I came out to my mother and she had a million questions and I came out to my dad and he goes, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm not sure. I felt like I should be insulted, but at the same time I go, well, if it makes sense, it makes sense. Right. Right. So then you, you do have sort of like a polyamorous situation when you go home for Christmas. I mean, do you bring the whole house with you or how does that work? Um, well, it's, easy for now because I have one partner. I have one uh, primary partner. Um, actually, I, I try to stay away from the term primary. Uh, I have a nesting partner and okay. all of my other partners are pretty casual. Uh, I did have an experience where I had a partner come to visit me when I was doing a little vacation retreat with my, my mother and my partner. Mm. And so that was interesting, but... Um, I, and I do think it made my mother a little bit uncomfortable to think about, like, you know, have I betrayed my partner or, you know, is what I'm doing nefarious? But, um, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with the discomfort of others, so I don't feel the need to try to fix it for anybody. So is your family particularly, like, religious? Did you guys go to church and stuff growing up? I had I had the most liberal upbringing. I was practically <laughs> raised in an artist commune. Okay. So my parents, like, when, um, like, let's see, about five years before I was born, my parents went in with 10 other people to buy an old horse stables. Oh, and cool. yeah, and they lived there and they all, they were all like visual artists. So they were all like painters and sculptors and they all just lived there. And eventually my parents uh, were the last remaining people and um and so it got like condoed and it was like my childhood was desecrated but but when i was there it was tremendous because i remember thinking about like aunts and uncles and being like who the fuck are they like they're not nearly as close as our family so i you know i was raised with a chosen family so in, in a lot of ways polyamory is very reminiscent of the childhood i knew Wow, that's so interesting. So th then did you always know that you were like lean towards polyamory or did that just kind of come to surface after your marriage? You know, um, it's again, it was like forced out. It was only against the juxtaposition of non-acceptance where I realized how important it was to me and how true it was to who I was. I remember I had a almost like a mentor person. I had a confidant when I was in high school. Um, and I would talk about different things that I was experiencing with my then girlfriend. And I remember wanting to open the relationship up and having that person say, well, you wouldn't want to do that because if you brought another woman into the relationship, she would want to bring another guy into the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember thinking like the more the merrier, right? But there was this shame to it you know, and they was like, oh, this is not what people do. And, and I remember thinking how peculiar it was that it was like socially acceptable for my relationship at 15 to be like, not that serious. But all of a sudden, at 16 or 17, I wasn't given that same luxury. Hmm. I see. You know, like, like, I wasn't able to just kind of be casually with somebody. 
it, it had it was it was implied to be more serious, you know. Um, and I I had opened up my relationship with my high school girlfriend, and she begged me to close it. So you've always kind of been naturally geared towards that kind of relationship. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, polyamory is far closer to just what my natural impulses are, what my natural state of being is. Now, as a heterosexual, if one of your partners were to bring a man, another man into the relationship, I'm curious, have you had sexual situations where there's like another man having sex with your female identifying partner? And is that a problem for you? Or do you kind of steer away from that? No, I have no problem with that at all. Yeah, okay. that's that's a good time. I had uh, three or four experiences of that nature in the in the last few years. Yeah, um, I mean, I prefer to have more women personally, but that's you know, I'm not afraid of a penis. Okay, but you're not like going to necessarily put it in your mouth or anything. No, yeah, no, I'm just not interested in in uh, in using it. I don't. I wouldn't mind whipping one, but um, you know. I uh, I do play with men, so I guess uh, some people would call me queer, but um, but I don't identify as queer, and I don't want to take I don't want to take away from people who like wholeheartedly identify as queer. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So you'll do it for like the sexual experience of like that particular situation, but you're not going to go and like marry a dude. Yeah. Well, what I mean is, I'll um, I I would deeply enjoy having somebody else with a penis use it on a person that I like. Ah, uh, I see. Even when I'm there, you know, um, double penetration is a great time. Okay. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I've always been curious about that dynamic because I I always hear these stories of like, um, well, for example, I'll just. I'll call some some of my friends out. <laughs> two two straight friends that have mentioned, oh yeah, like we fucked different girls right next to each other before, and I'm like thinking, how? Like what? Like it just it boggles my mind. I just can't wrap my head around it. Really. Well, I think we all get an opportunity to identify how we identify, you know, and I think that labels are really helpful a lot of times, mm-hmm. but also they can be really restrictive and they can be detrimental. You know, so like, for example, like I take, I have no qualms on being sadistic with a man, you know, I could take, I could take uh, great pleasure and it's even sexual pleasure in my mind because I am a sexual sadist. But if I was so wrapped up in that identity of being straight that like, oh, I can't even touch a guy. I can't even, I can't enjoy cuddles from a guy like that. I would lose that opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think there was part of me that was even holding out, like, like hopefully I'm gay a little bit. But it just, I went to Folsom Street Fair. I saw every size, shape, and color penis, and, and that was it. There was no mystery. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So let's get into a little bit about um, more of your kinky side. So you talked about your very early experience in, you know, like before grade school and stuff like that. When was your first power exchange sexual experience as an adult? Mm, um, that's, it's, again, it's a really tough question to answer because I always seemed to measure relationships Mm. on power exchange on like a power dynamic. So we're going to take a quick little pause here in order to put in a trigger warning. Uh, the next couple of minutes, Sir Ezra is going to talk about a portion of his personal story that recounts a situation of non-consensual statutory sexual violation at a very young age. For those listeners who may be sensitive to this material, please feel free to take this time to skip ahead to around the 21-minute mark. And again, I have to throw out the trigger warning because my first two sexual partners, I was uh, the victim of statutory rape. Mm. Uh, I didn't feel like uh, I was being taken advantage of, but when I look back on it, like I was 14 and she was 18 and I was definitely... Uh, at a significant disadvantage uh, emotionally and psychologically. But, um, you know, I would say those are the two relationships where I submitted because I submitted to the authority of this person who was older than me. Um, And then the rest of my relationships all seemed colored by this acknowledgement of what the power situation was. I see. I see. Yeah. And I, you know, that that may have something to do with my aversion 
to bottoming or my aversion to being in relationships where the power dynamic is either unspoken or loose or not agreed to. So when was the first time that you encountered leather? Because obviously kink has kind of always been a part of you, but I know you also identify it as leather. When was your first encounter with that? Uh, if I'm honest, the um, Stars Network had a late night program and they showed the rubber ball Berlin and there was like people all decked out in harnesses and leather and rubber. And I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? And it definitely worked for me. Um, my first... So I, I'm not sure I could call that like my first experience with the community because I wasn't there, you know? Right. But when I came into the community in 2013, that was at Fleur de Lis in Redlands. And the people that were running that were, you know, self-identified members of the leather community. I think they were the people who started the Inland Empire leather title. What is Fleur de Lis exactly? Uh, the fleur de lis is a symbol that they use in Louisiana, the the three leaved flower kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the but the fleur de lis was a dungeon that was in Redlands that unfortunately did not persist. Got okay. it. So that was like your first in person experience with other people, you know, in leather. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so that was my first experience with leather folk. My first leather bar experience was in 2018. Okay. And what bar was that? Do you remember? It was Eagle. Eagle LA. Okay. And what did it feel like when you walked in there? Like, were you taken aback by anything? Or or what was your experience like? I mean, I was intimidated. I'm not gonna lie. Um, You know, I, again, I, I identify as straight. And so I'm very careful. I don't want to take away from gay spaces. Um, Uh, I will go, I'll go when I'm invited, you know, um, and I don't think anybody made me uncomfortable in that space. And so that was really nice. But I, it was challenging because it begged the question, like, do I belong here? Hmm. You know, and even if I'm, even if I know that I'm leather and I know I have a leather heart and I know I have a leather household, like that doesn't mean that either like I'm welcome or I belong in those spaces. Well, I don't want to get too, you know, political on this, but I do want to know kind of more about that experience for you because I I see where you're kind of like stuck in between a rock and a hard place there. It's like you identify as leather, but then you are kind of coming into like a queer or gay leather space. Are there any spaces in the leather world that you know of that are more heterosexual? Because I do appreciate that you say, you know, I don't want to take away from gay spaces either. Yeah, well, I mean... Sanctuary LAX is a pansexual leather venue, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that I never felt, how do I put this? You know, I never wondered whether I belonged at Sanctuary. I mean, my first experience at Sanctuary was like a, it was like a fish to water. It was like my people, finally I've made it. So yeah, I've always felt very welcome at Sanctuary. What was your first time like at Sanctuary? Was it like at a, like a party or a ball or anything like that? I actually, I came as a customer the first time. Yeah, because I was, um, as I mentioned, I was in that vanilla marriage and God bless my ex-wife did her best to explore with me to the point where she could. At a certain point, she was like, okay, I'm done exploring. And I was like, I just got started. So what are we going to do? Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, But there was a point where she was still exploring with me. So we went to sanctuary so I could get it out of my system if if you will and um and she was sitting there like dissociated the whole time wait a second so wait she came with you to sanctuary (laughs) yeah so like i said god bless my (laughs) ex-wife she came with me to sanctuary we hired a professional submissive and i was still working on my skills so there was a little bit of like hey this is what i've been doing what do you think about like my wrist work on this flogger stuff and then there was a lot of like spanking and 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 flogging and stuff. So you were my, spanking an, like another woman in front of her. That's right. Yeah. And and the 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 tragedy of it is that I kept like looking over for like compersion or 
like some level of enjoyment or some level of even just approval. And I got nothing because she wouldn't, she was just, you know, looking at the clock. Wow. Okay. So I, I don't want to pry, but it's <laughs> just like, so oh, how did this, it seems like she was very open, at least in, in, you know, she cared about you enough to go and be with you, but she clearly didn't enjoy it. So when it came down to it, what was the breakup like? Was it a mutual kind of understanding of like, obviously we're in different areas here and this isn't going to work? Or like, how did that look? I mean, it was mutual. I think she was tired. Mm. Um, it was a fight. You know, really, it was it was funny because we got together and I had this idea that I could get her to open up. Mm. And she had this idea that she could get me to settle down and we got together and people change and I opened up more and she settled down more, you know? Mm. So we went, we went in the opposite direction of, we both were going in opposite directions of what the other had sort of hoped. You know, that begs the question, because I've asked this to other guests before and uh, I've asked, you know, is kink for everybody? And I've had different answers. I've had some people say that, yes, everybody, everyone is kinky and it's just something that hasn't been tapped into yet. And I've had other people say, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think everyone is wired that way. I mean, based off of your experience, what would be your answer to that question? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a spectrum, right? So yeah. there are some people who will never have the same sex twice. And there are some people who will never change from missionary, mm. you know? And in fact, I would say that the person who doesn't change from missionary is actually like somewhere in the middle or two thirds. And on the other side, we have so boring, it's kinky again. Like people who want to cut a hole in a sheet so the bodies don't touch besides the genitals. Like to me, that is the kinkiest vanilla sex I've ever heard of. I've actually never heard of that. So that's you never heard of that. That's no. there's actually a couple different religious groups that are so modest. They refrain from looking at each other during sex or seeing each other during sex. That's kind of glory holeish. That's that it is. That's kind of kinky, actually. <laughs> I know it's so nasty. I love it. And um, okay, I while we're on uh, people being so religiously prudent that they end up kinky by accident. Uh, have you ever heard of soaking? No. So they're like, I love this. This is the Mormon practice of penetrating without thrusting because God can't see it if you don't move. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, what? he can. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Brandon, imagine the poor fucks that had a baby and without ever pumping. Wow. How, okay, how does this even work? Your uh, the idea is that it's it's called a throbbing rationalization. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a punk band name if I ever heard one. Right. <laughs> I think there's some Mormons that actually do anal only, also, um, <sighs> because again, it's the sex that God can't see. How interesting. Mm. Okay, so I'm just trying to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> this got this got really weird really fast. <laughs> You're the one who brought it up. <laughs> So, okay, I'm just trying to imagine how I'm going to come without the friction. So do you, is the penis like inserted and then you just sit there? Yep, yep, yep. It's pure anticipation. The wow. thrill, I, am, I imagine the thrill of doing something naughty uh, is, you know, significant part of this experience. Okay, so you just, you know, I, I might have done soaking before on accident, but I thought it was pretty kinky. And so let me just explain to you <laughs> a little bit what's happening here. So the it was like maybe a month or two ago. I don't remember what prompted me to do this, but my partner was laying down and I sit on top of him. And that's usually like how I get like to get started. And then I don't know what happened, but I ended up like, I think, I don't know if it was an accident or something, but I ended up like kind of flexing and his dick kind of pushes out a little bit. And as I relaxed, it pulled back in. So then I was like, just stay there. And I ended up, we ended up having like 
sex for like 10 minutes where I was basically masturbating him by flexing and having his dick like pull in and out, but on like with my control. And I thought that was like the sexiest thing. It sounds super hot. And it sounds like you need to teach that as a master level anal sex class. <laughs> we'll call it soaking with Brandon. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't think it's soaking. I think you milked his cock with your anus. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if that's a thing. I, I'm sure it is, but I just accidentally discovered it, you know, for myself. Sound, yeah, it sounds like you found something special there. <laughs> now, are women able to do that with their... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Brendan, but uh, women also have buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I was it's the great equalizer. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I heard legend of women with vaginas so strong they, you know, keep a man's penis from leaving. But uh, I've, I have not sensed that one. But um, Kegel exercises are strengthening of that specific muscle in the vagina. And that is always part of my training of submissives. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about... Well, let me back up because okay, your, listen, your listeners might be able to enjoy a little factoid here because okay. men also can, can flex the same muscle. And mastery of that muscle is the key to male multiple orgasm. Oh, okay. Do tell. Yeah. Have you heard of male multiple orgasm? I have, but I thought that was a myth from it's American not a myth. Pie. <laughs> no, no, it's not a myth. I've experienced it personally, really? um, albeit in fitter days. I'm not as fit as I once was. But so when the, the mechanism of ejaculation is that muscle squeezing semen through right and you the I mean, i'm sure you've experienced it the, the urge to ejaculate is the urge to squeeze that muscle and if you master that muscle if you you can do your male, males can do kegels and if you do that enough times in a day and you you learn to to have really good control over that muscle then you can withhold from the urge to squeeze that muscle at the time of ejaculation enjoy all the pleasure of an orgasm without ejaculating and continue okay question here so and maybe this is not i guess my question is is this related to to that concept i i've had a couple times in my life where I've like gotten close to coming and then I've tried to edge and stop myself. But then I feel like I came, but I, nothing came out. And then I'm like, damn it. And then I, that's it. That's no, that's it. it. You, you had a multiple orgasm. And oh. I mean, think about this. The muscle has a certain level of fitness and with exceptional fitness, you can do that all day long. No way. Yep. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be multiple orgasming like all over the metro <laughs> on the way to work. <laughs> I mean, you want to get really into it. I mean, the, the orgasm is a mental thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do all these things to stimulate ourselves so that our bodies are sort of tricked into something, but you can do it. I mean, think about it. You, if you can orgasm in your sleep, then what's to keep you from orgasming without touching your penis at all? Oh, wow. How interesting. Right? It's only your brain that stops you. You know, we might have to do like a, a kinky special with Sir Ezra for the bo a bonus episode where we just talk <laughs> about all this sex. <laughs> I know. We've gotten way off track, Brandon. <laughs> well, you're the one that get, that's getting this all hard over here. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go back to um, <laughs> a little bit about you. Oh, sanctuary. Okay. So sanctuary is kind of like your home, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would call that my home dungeon. So you teach classes there now? Yeah. So as uh, in my role as director of education at Sanctuary LAX, I am responsible for bringing education to Sanctuary. So usually that means recruiting other teachers. I do teach also. And... Things got really interesting once COVID hit because we couldn't do classes in person anymore. Mm -hmm. And you'd think that would have killed the program, but instead it, it gave it a shot and we're getting 10 times as many people showing up. Because 10 times as many people have access to their computer Yeah, well, versus driving to LA. We did January, February, March. We had in-person classes at Sanctuary, which were also available online. 
So I was booking classes and setting up Zoom meetings to broadcast those classes and try to advertise that that was happening, right? But people just weren't savvy to it. They weren't expecting that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then COVID comes around, all the events are online, and I'm already set up to do it. Wow. So it just kind of took off then. Yeah. So we did eight classes this month, and I had 90 people sign up for my uh, Finding Your First Play Partner class. Okay. So what does an online class look like for those of us who might be curious to like log on after this episode? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we advertise on FetLife, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Right now we're on TikTok, if you can believe it. And we have classes taught by people from all over the country that come to the class, teach. Usually it's 60 to 90 minutes of lecture and then a Q&A. We did have one instructor who lectured for a whole 120 minutes and then took a whole another 60 minutes of question and answer, okay. which I thought was insane. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was great. It was a fantastic class about really understanding the, the reason for submission and like, how do you understand your submissive and things like that? Okay, cool, cool. And you know, I heard mention of, I forget who told me about it. Um, it was like just the other day, too. Someone told me about there's like a sort of a Zoom-esque kind of application that you guys have where there's like, are, are there like BDSM rooms and stuff like that, too? Oh, yeah, that's separate. So that is the virtual parties. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and you talked to um, Mr. Sanctuary 2018, right, Adam? Yes. Yeah, so he does logistics for these. So these are, it's not Zoom, but it is It is like a webcam kind of experience where you come into, you come into a lobby and then there are multiple rooms and then you can tune into the different webcams in the different rooms and they're all people playing. Um, and I actually, I performed at a couple of these. It's like those old school AOL chat rooms where people would just like leave their cameras on and like do shit. And <laughs> do you remember those? Um, my AOL experience was apparently a lot less entertaining than yours, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to like role play that I was the devil in AOL. That was, that was my experience. That oh, would just what? come on, be the devil's advocate. I got to be the sadist I love to be. Right. And, you know. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay, that's so interesting. So is that your main um, source of income now? Or is that your main job? Well, my my main job? Well, I spend a lot of time doing both. But uh, it's the director of education at Sanctuary. And then I also am the president of House of Algos coaching. Okay, so are you the creator of House of Algos? Or? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I, it started as my leather household. And then it's branched off to also include coaching and education services for other people. So what are, so it seems like, I guess, is education one of your priorities that you hold at a high priority for your house? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think service is my love language, my primary love language. I think it's also Anna's love language. And so service is a way that we can, you know, education is a way that we can serve the community. Got it. So, got it. So yeah. how did you come up with the, the name? Um, it's Greek for pain. Oh, interesting. Yeah. House of Pain was taken. Oh, okay. So House of Algosa, there you go. Yeah. And I like, um, I've always liked Greek mythology and I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from Greek mythology. And, um, actually there's a lot of evidence of power exchange in ancient Greece, but that's, I think another story. Absolutely. That, that we'll save that for the bonus episode. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, so we have a motto in the house, which is wisdom through suffering. And that's an ancient Greek phrase. Oh, wonderful. And how did you find that out? Just through your own research or? Yeah, no, I had done a lot of, of research. And I believe that the ancient Greeks did not have a concept of sexual deviance, that they understood sexuality to be a diverse thing and did not shame people for falling outside of a specific portion of that spectrum. So I don't, I don't think that they had kink in that sense. They don't have people who identify as being sexual outliers. But I think because of that, they learned a lot about the dynamics of people and sexuality and the interplay of knowledge and sexuality. It was understood in ancient Greece that having sex with somebody imparted knowledge. 
So you actually share values and share knowledge through that. So the, the concept of mentorship comes from ancient Greece and involved sex. Now, let's talk a little bit more about your some of your kinks. I think we were talking about that earlier, and I'm just I want to know more about it seems like you have like the power exchange thing going on. Now, are you into kinks that can only be integrated in a power exchange play? Or are you into other fetishes as well? For example, fisting or sounding or, you know, any of those things? I mean, to me, power exchange is like gravy. Like, or like I'm going to eat a turkey sandwich, but if you could put gravy on it, I would like it that much more. I see. You know, um, but, but the substance, I think, is still enjoyable. So... I, I enjoy a wide variety of kinks and I think I tend to end on the more extreme side. I'm like more of a heavier player. So I like, I like heavy impact. I like whips. I like electricity. And lately I've been in this space where I'm like stuck in my head. I think it's, is part of it is now BDSM is not just my leisure time. It's also my professional time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I've been sort of, moving more in the direction of primal play because it affords me the opportunity to really set my mind aside and just be in my body. So you, you didn't mention that you, I, you play as a, a leopard, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So out of all of the animal kingdom, <laughs> how did we find the leopard? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I have to be different. I blame my artist parents. <laughs> because if, if you're an artist, just like the next artist, then you might as well not exist, right? And so there's this absolute need to be different. And so I, I, I will describe myself as a compulsive nonconformist. And it's very frustrating at times because it would have been a lot easier to just be a fucking pup. You know, there's a lot of people who I could play with. But no, I have to be different. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I like, you know, Miss Anna was my zebra the other day and she's just sitting there eating grass and I got to like pounce on her and, and bite her and grapple and. Oh, I yeah. see. So very, um, what's the word? Like hunting or something. Yeah. 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 Predator, pre um, predator and prey. Ah, yes, that's right. Predator and prey. I Consensual predatory behavior. So I'm just trying to imagine this, and I'm sorry if this comes across, but I just, I'm kind of laughing here. I'm just imagining like Anna eating a sandwich at the kitchen table, and then you just like tackle her down. <laughs> like, how does this look? I mean, that happens anyway. <laughs> that happens anyway. When we decide we're going to be primal, it's a little bit neater because I'm like, all right, we'll just get naked and, and y'all all fours, and then, and then I'm going to attack you, and we know it's going to happen. Okay. But I, I tend to kind of embody that anyway, which can lead to me just like attacking her while she's in the kitchen. And it doesn't <laughs> always go well, you know, because then maybe she's not ready. Right, right. But that's the point. You know, I want to, mm, I just want to bite. I'm uh, getting excited. Oh, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> so when you bite, uh, like, what are you biting? How hard are you biting? Are you drawing blood? No, um, I typically don't draw blood. Um, it's not, so I, I'm not, um, it's funny, I'm not psychologically opposed to blood. You know, okay. if I know there's going to be blood, like I'm prepared for it and like we're doing that. But like when I'm surprised by blood, it is just kind of a mood killer because I immediately go into like, okay, like now we need to dress your wound. Oh, I see. You know, um, so I typically don't do that. I typically, um, I'll bite pretty hard though. And I've mastered a technique of biting which maximizes the amount of pain without doing a lot of damage. Mm. And that is to come back over Mark. So you bite hard enough to leave impressions. And then after like a 90 degree turn or just even moving a little bit, you bite on the same spot. And that because it's because the skin is already fatigued, it hurts that much more. Oh, I see. Yeah. Or like the bite and release where you take like a, a relatively big bite you let a little bit of skin out, and so the person feels like they're going to have relief. But before you release all of the skin from your mouth, you bite again. So, hmm. yeah. How interesting. It's like, you know, playing with psychology and pain at the same time. Well, it's just so interesting that you talked about this. Um, you know, I'm finding out more and more that, like, animal role play is, is also just kind of getting us more into our primal spaces. And that's so long, for so long how I've described leather like it takes you to a very primal space. 
I hear you. So when it comes to cruising and stuff like that, do, do you do any cruising? Um, I, you know, I used to do a lot more. Um, I used to do a lot of pickup play, but lately I found that less fulfilling because okay. I feel like it comes with as much risk as playing with somebody that you know, but mm. uh, the pleasure is less. You know, for me personally, like I'm looking for, I'm looking for long-term committed uh, DS relationships. And so I've found that there's a lot of people who just kind of want to try me out. And okay. as much fun as it is to be tried out, in the end, they're not really so concerned with who I am is what I am. I you see. Know? I mean, it's nice to be wanted, but at the same time, like I would, again, I want long-term relationships. So. Got it. That makes sense. Well, I do have two more questions on kink for you. Um, I do want to know, do you have a recollection of like one of your most exciting kink scenes that you've personally experienced? Or maybe you have a fantasy that you haven't played out yet that you're anxious to make happen? Oh, I was waiting for this question, Brandon. <laughs> so my, I'm just about to turn 35. And okay. my 33rd birthday checked so many boxes off my list. All right. It was um, it was a reverse gangbang, which means that I was the only man in a room of eleven people. Ah. Right. And um, so one of the things that was it's it's just so fucking childish. But one of the things that I was always in my mind as a sexual fantasy was to line a bunch of women up and then run along them, spanking them all. <laughs> that is pretty cute though. <laughs> um and you know I'll tell you it doesn't work as well as it is it does in the imagination. Right. Gosh, maybe maybe I should have gotten out like a really long piece of wood and been like all right ladies everybody's ass needs to touch the piece of wood so we're all lined up. But in the end they just there was too much variation it didn't uh what works though is doing a couple spanks on each hand on each butt and moving on. And mm. so I do I have I have it on video I have evidence. Um Another thing that I did that, that, again, super childish, but I'm really glad I did it, was to stack them all in a giant pyramid and sit on top of it. Oh, that's a very power kind of pose for you, I guess, right? Yes, it was very much about like a display of power and submission. And even if it wasn't like, even if these people weren't giving me like their deepest submission uh, for that evening, they submitted to me at least, at least to my whimsy. So was that all for your birthday? Yeah. It, and that was, that was Miss Anna. Uh, she is an amazing partner and I did my best to, to try to satisfy her fantasies as well. But I, I can't, I can't imagine I did as good of a job as she did. <laughs> Do you have any like funny or embarrassing stories related to King? Um, I've got funny stories. I'm not I'm not sure about embarrassing. Like I feel like there's always times where people, you know, people feel have mixed feelings about experiences. Right. But but I I had a funny experience where I was I used to be really gung-ho about humiliation. I think I'm much more measured now okay. that I don't want to I really want to make sure I'm not doing anybody any long-term damage with humiliation it's really easy so I'm care much more careful but there was a time where I was a lot more cut loose and I toe fucked this girl's ass uh on the floor like we wrestled and I just shoved my fucking big toe and I put a condom on it just you know for safety's sake but okay. um I, I, I have an, and I have a large big toe. It is preposterously large and I shoved it right up her ass. <laughs> Did she squ squeal? Yes. She squealed quite a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of toe fucking before, but you know, I know it's a thing cause everything's a thing. Everything's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> now let's go back to leather for a little bit. What was your very first piece of leather? Do you remember? I do. Um, my first piece of leather was given to me by my father, and it was a biker jacket. It was his biker jacket, and he gave it to me. And it was, it was like a passing of the torch almost. It was kind of cool. So, how did that make you feel? Like, well, how old were you when that happened? Like sixteen, seventeen. And you mentioned that it kind of felt like a passing of the torch. Do you still have it with you today? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I have taken a lot better care of it than he did. It was all stiff when I got it, and um, and I've breathed some life back into it. To me, it was like this talisman of 
rebellion and going against the grain. I think that's really interesting that, you know, you mentioned this piece of leather coming from your father and it kind of being more of a sentiment. And I think that's pretty unique from what I've heard in the past. You know, a lot of people, like, for example, my first piece of leather was very much a sexual experience. But, you know, for you, it kind of seemed like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, you being a part of like this legacy. Yeah, it's almost like a status item. Like I was ready to fight, like a, you know, suit of armor or something. Now, has the le- meaning of leather changed for you since then? Yeah, I think, you know, it still it still has that bold and defiant characteristic. But I think it's also more pragmatic in my mind uh, than it once was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about jumping into the fray and fighting for the sake of fighting. It's about you know standing up for what's right and loyalty and honor and integrity. So what is your favorite piece of leather today? I mean, do you still wear that jacket or do you have like a favorite harness that you wear or? I do. I I still wear that jacket. Like I said, I, you know, it's a lot more supple than it was when I got it. But um, my favorite piece of leather are my unlined police inspection gloves. Mm. Have you seen these? I don't think so. Yeah. So they're, um, they're just a very thin kid skin leather gloves and you can feel very well through the fingertips, you know, and um, I wasn't sure they were the right gloves when I was ordering them online. And then I saw like, as seen in the show Dexter, and I was like, Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so sometimes I call them my like, my, or my murder gloves or something, you know, in jest. But they're great. I think, you know, I put them on and it, it almost gives me permission to have like inhuman brutality. Like, there's all these, there's all these pressures in society to be a gentleman and to be courteous and to be polite and to be formal and you put on leather and it's just like, I'm a fucking animal. Right. You don't, yeah, you get to be brutal. And I think, you know, I've already been accused of having heavy hands and you put these leather gloves on me and even it's, even though it's one little layer of goat's leather, it, uh, they get heavier. It's so interesting that you say that because I never thought of myself particularly as like a glove person until uh, a friend of mine over at the the Eagle LA, he's like, you should try my gloves on. And we kind of have like this flirty banter as well. And for some reason, when I put those gloves on, kind of like you said, I felt like powerful. And I remember like coming up from behind him and like putting my hand around his mouth. And I just felt like this, I don't know, sexual, powerful energy coming from those gloves. Yeah, it's very powerful. Gloves are very powerful. I also like, um, I can use them in humiliation play as like a denial, like you don't get to touch my skin. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, does it give us a a different sensation when you're like spanking? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot thuddier because the leather cushions the blow. So you get a deeper penetrating uh, sensation. Okay. So like less of a, a like a less of a smack stick. and more of a thud. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And you can hear it. It sounds muffled. You can oh, hear the difference. And I'll tell you too, leather gloves are the best for pinching because you can actually pinch a smaller amount of skin. Oh, really? Yeah. So you can, you can pinch like a motherfucker. <laughs> Do you remember maybe one of your favorite experiences with those gloves? Mm, I think it involved squirt. Squirt. Wait, the soda? Are you not familiar? That's a no. That's female ejaculatory fluid, my friend. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's why I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> well, are you going to tell us? Or are you going to leave us hanging? I don't know. No, I think I'll leave you guys hanging. I, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we know it has something to do with squirt. We'll leave your imagination to it, audience. Uh, <laughs> so, when it comes to being called a sir, you are Sir Ezra. Mm-hmm. Where does the term sir come from and how did it kind of become part of the title used to describe someone like yourself in your role? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely comes from, it was a royally decreed term mm-hmm. where knights were an elite fighting force, right? So it evolved. I think the, the royal family still used them, but it's funny because, uh, you know, good luck getting Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney to pick up an axe and fight for the royal family, right? right? Um, but from there, it was adopted into the military as a term of respect and to recognize authority. Hmm. And then in World War II, in the, Amer- the origin of American leather, or after World War II, I should say, it came back and sort of was adopted into leather that way. 
So why why sir instead of like master or sure so or daddy? Yeah, no, I hear you, and I and it's intentional. You know, I've considered them all, um, and I actually at this point in my journey would identify mostly as a master because my relationship is owner property, but I I like the term sir because to me it represents honor, loyalty, respect, fighting for what's right, and. I think it's interesting now because I have this like TikTok following and it's a lot of very young people. And so they go, well, is it okay for me to call him, sir? And I'm like, you can call me, sir. That's fine. Like the issue is play is when you call somebody by an honorific and assume that you are playing with them just because you've used their honorific. It's Mm -hmm. a term of respect. But I, I like the term, sir. It came from Mistress Anne. So I was really hesitant to bestow any honorific on myself. And I've been working under Mistress Anne. She's my mentor. And I was a, a DM. I was a dungeon monitor at Sanctuary before I was the director of education. And I was going on in a DomCon performance. And she said, I'm putting you on the list as Sir Ezra. And I said, well, shit, there it is. You know, I think that's super meaningful that it was bestowed upon you by someone who you kind of recognize as a mentor. Yeah, absolutely. And I acknowledge the old guard way of like, you don't buy your first piece of leather or, you know, you need to be indoctrinated. And I see that as having value, but I also see that as a system that's not really sustainable with the, the volume of the new generation. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's troubling because it can lead to some gatekeeping. Mm. Well, what are some things that you see have changed between, you know, old guard and and today? And are those for the better or or for worse? I can, um, I can say some one thing that I've seen that that is better, and that as we have matured as a community, as a society, we have had a development in our understanding of consent. Mm -hmm. Right? So I mean, in the 50s and the 60s, if you were married, you know, that was consent. Mm. Right. And I think in the leather community, it was similar. But now we have a more enlightened understanding of consent. And so I think that that's really valuable, that we understand that consent can be withdrawn at any time, you know, and, uh, and I think that's really valuable in, in terms of keeping people safe. Absolutely. Now, I know, I know you mentioned Mr. Cyan as, as someone who, who you look up to. Um, are there any other people in your life that were kind of role models or that you look up to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a great deal of respect for Mr. Sanctuary 2018, Adam. Mm -hmm. He's been more helpful to me than I think he knows. Um, I always have to put uh, Miss Anna on the list, Queen Anna. It's, I mean, she kicks so much ass (laughs) and like she's so brutal. And yet the experience that I have with her is an unparalleled softness and acceptance. And I mean, in my mind, she's a saint because she has loved me so much. She has loved me better than anyone has ever loved me. Mm. So I can't, I can't keep her off the list. And, um, and there's also Mixtress Wiley Wolf, I think has a huge amount of potential and is really doing things for the right reasons and is standing up for non-binary and just living her truth in a way that is really spectacular. And I'd love to see more of that. That's awesome. Well, when when it comes to, um, you know, people coming into the community and and like you said, you know, it it seems like you kind of came into the community and you had the, the pleasure of really having people to look up to. As you know, someone who has been bestowed upon the the honor, I guess you could say, of being called sir, what would be your advice to somebody just coming into the BDSM scene and any newcomers coming into it who may not know too much about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my advice to newcomers in the scene would be to not tolerate gatekeeping. There's always going to be somebody that tells you to fuck off because you don't belong. And that person is not is likely not embodying the values that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are well-established perpetrators in our community. So or there are people who are insecure that the new guy is going to come in and steal their potential partner or steal their existing partner. And so they act out. 
mm-hmm. you know, and the old art had to deal with a lot more prejudice than we do now. You know, I mean, you could be arrested for being kinky. You could be arrested for being gay, mm-hmm. you know, but those days are over. And the habits that we have about how we vet people and how we judge people before they come into the community can be really toxic. And so I would I would caution newcomers to allowing that gatekeeping to stand. Don't let that stop you. So another thing I would recommend for newcomers to the community is to look for people of authority that can help guide you. And traditionally, these might be a mentor or a protector or a teacher role. And I think those are really helpful roles. And um, it's also, there's sort of a new, how do I put this? So traditionally, mentorship is a one-on-one relationship where somebody new is being taught by somebody more experienced. And I think this is a really valuable relationship. I personally benefited from having a mentor, but it's also kind of limited. And it's challenging, I think, for a lot of young people who come in looking for a mentor right away, when that mentorship relationship is an exchange and a back and forth, when you're brand new, there really isn't there really isn't much you have to offer when you need to learn so much. And so coaching, which is what I offer, is a way to bridge that gap. So I talk to a lot of people that are brand new to the community and are really looking to accelerate their growth and their development in this space before they're really ready for a mentor. Awesome, awesome. That, that's really good advice. Now, um, I am curious to know, being the head of your House of Algos and your partner being Queen and Algos Miss Sanctuary Leather 2020, I'm curious to know if you see yourself in the future competing for a leather title. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think that's in the cards for me. Okay. Yeah. I think leather titles are really helpful at giving people a voice and a platform. And I think that I've been given a set of skills in my life and in my, the opportunities that I've been given, which I've been able to build a pretty significant platform on my own. And so I, I think that seeking a leather title is probably not the best use of my time and also probably not the best use of that leather title. I see. So when it comes to your platform, what are some of your hopes and, and goals for the future? I mean, it's lofty, but I have this vision that anybody who wants kink and BDSM and leather education can find it. Mm. You know, I mean... We talked a lot about my experiences in my failed marriage. And I think if I had understood that I would be valued as a sexual sadist, that there are people who want that, you know, I wouldn't have suffered for so long. I wouldn't have suffered for 10 years. And I I mentioned before, I'm service oriented. And so if I can find a way to interact with the world that forgoes suffering for for people, then I'm going to do that. What would be your message to people that might be in your shoes right now listening to your voice? You know, maybe somebody who got into a relationship that didn't play out quite the way they thought and are listening to your voice right now and they can totally identify with your story. Um, I'll share words that aren't my own, but were they came from my therapist. And I was smart enough to get a kinky therapist. I looked mm-hmm. it up. I knew it was important enough to me that I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to find somebody who's kink friendly. And boy, did I get what I was looking for because, again, I didn't think that I would ever be appreciated. And she said to me, you know, Ezra, there's somebody out there that's going to appreciate the fuck out of you for mm-hmm. all that you are. And, you know, that's my message to somebody who's listening and thinks, well, maybe I won't belong or maybe there's not a place for me or maybe I won't be able to find the person who can love that kink too, or maybe I can't find somebody who can love me even though I'm kinky, right? right. You want somebody who's going to love you because you're kinky, and you know, not despite it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's my message is that there's a place out there for you. There's a home, there's a family, and there's somebody who's going to appreciate the fuck out of you. Thank you for sharing those words. How can we get connected with you? How can we sign up for one of your classes? How can we reach out? Yeah, so I'm like House of Algos everywhere. So uh, it's House of Algos, A-L-G-O-S. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, FetLife, TikTok, just like that across the board. 
House of Algos. Yeah, that's right. And I also have a website, houseofalgos.com. And it's a great website where you can get classes instantly. You can talk to me about coaching resources. And uh, I've got a bunch of blog posts up there as well. Awesome. And I'll make sure to put links in those in, in the description below. Uh, before we go, do you have any last statements you'd like to say before we wrap up? Oh, well, I just want to thank you, Brandon, for reaching out and giving me an opportunity to share my story. And I hope it helps some people. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Well, don't forget to check out the many outreach programs we have available to us here in the Los Angeles area. The LA Leather COVID-19 Assist, Boulevard Pantry, and LALC Cares are all ways that you can get assistance during these times of COVID-19. I will, of course, have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet. And you can no longer reach out to me through Facebook because I've been in Facebook jail for over a month now, so I think it's permanent. Um, but I did create a Twitter where you can find me as Brandon Bullet LA. I don't have very many followers on there yet, but for updates and kinky photos that I would have otherwise posted through Facebook, it looks like I'm going to be using Twitter a little bit more for that now. So go ahead and follow me there. Again, you can find me as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.